This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. I remember a, a very particular time when I was in college, thinking about the future, getting closer to graduation, excited about a new stage of independence. I mean, yeah, college, you're away from home, but I mean, still a dependent, still have a lot of things that mom and dad are responsible for, still go home to see them and their house on weekends and holidays. And I remember as I was getting close to the end, uh, Becca and I were engaged. Uh, we got married while we were still in college and we just had all these, all these big things coming and it was such an exciting time. I remember one night though, in, in, in the midst of all that excitement, I just felt this weight. This, this burden. I'm going I'm to call that responsibility. We'll just put that title on it. I just felt this, this huge, huge weight thinking about what that independence would mean for, for me. That as I, as I moved out from under mom and dad, that I was now going to be responsible. I, I was going to have to think about rent or mortgage and, and insurance and you know, a car and, and more insurance and, and, you know, buying food to eat and all the things, all, all the utilities and, and health insurance, like all these things that I, I hadn't been paying for before. Now we're going to rest on my shoulders. And I just fell, even in the midst of all that excitement, the, the shadow cast over tempering that excitement and hope, molding it and shaping it within the the, the bounds of that burden of responsibility. Have you ever had those, those moments in life where, you, where you're, you're thinking about the, the, the hope and the excitement and the joy of things coming, but also recognizing the, the difficulty and the burden and the weight of responsibility of what goes with those things coming? Maybe you were looking forward to your first child and you think about the excitement of, of new life. And then you're also thinking about all the late nights and the difficulties and the diapers and all that stuff that goes with raising a child. You think about a, a, a new career or a move that brought you here to Finley and you were excited about that time and also worried about all the things that you're going to have to do and the reputation to maintain and the, the things that, that come with a, a changing career or housing location, all those things that, that go with it, that shadow that makes exciting things. Not less exciting, but different because you, you recognize the the other things that go with that, the responsibility, the weight, the burden. This morning, as we continue our sermon series, The Wonderful Cross, we're going to be talking about the shadow of the cross that was cast into the life of Jesus and the disciples. That, that burden that they carried leading up to this momentous occasion. Last week, we, we began our series talking about the journey to the cross uh, we read through a series of events in the life of Jesus that helped us understand how his whole life was pointed toward Calvary. The, the purpose of him coming into the earth to live his life was so that he could lay it down for us to bring about salvation, the forgiveness of sins through the shedding of his blood. Today, we continue thinking along those lines as we move from that journey toward Jerusalem and Calvary and the cross, and we come within that week that Jesus spent his last days in Jerusalem, the Passover, preparing for his death on the cross. And we start to think about that, that shadow, that, that burden, that weight that would have been present in his life and in his relationships and in the lives of the disciples. Now, last week we talked about one of the significant things that Jesus said to his disciples preparing for 
what was coming. And he talked to them before they even got there saying, you know, I'm, I'm the chief priests, the, the religious leaders, they're going to take my life, but I'm going to be raised again three days later. And while he was talking to them about that future event, he, he said these words, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's such a clear picture that Jesus provided to the disciples about not just what he was doing, but about their responsibility of being totally committed, surrendering their whole lives to him, that they would have to deny themselves, their, their desires, their hopes, their perspective, take up their cross and, and follow after him. He was acknowledging how, how significant it is to, to make that decision to follow after him. We recognize the the significance of that decision. Well, this, is, this isn't something that's a part-time job that you can, you can pick up on the evenings and weekends when you're not otherwise occupied. Faith is more than that. It's not, it's not like a hobby that you can, you can do in your spare time. You know, yeah, I believe in, in God. I was just, you know, I've got some time now, so let me explore my faith. But when I get busy, I can just put it on the shelf and leave it for a bit until I've got some spare time again, and then I'll, I'll, I'll reconnect with the Lord. No, when, when we follow after Christ, it is, it is a matter of denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and wholeheartedly following where he leads, submitting our entire lives to him. It's an overarching, all-encompassing kind of commitment. And embedded in that commitment is, is this word sacrifice, of knowing we have to give up to follow after him. The, the New Living Translation uses these words, if you want to be my disciple, you must give up your way. Take up your cross and follow me, as the words they translate from what Jesus said. And this is what we're going to see the disciples struggling with throughout the events that unfold as they step into the shadow of the cross. They're going to struggle with giving up their hopes and desires. They're going to struggle with giving up their perspective on what they thought it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah. They were, they were hoping that Jesus would fulfill their, their understanding of the Old Testament scriptures, that he would deliver the people of Israel out from under the Roman control to, to become the dominant nation on earth again. But that's not what Jesus had in mind in terms of the victory he would accomplish. It would be more significant, but delivered in a more subtle way, that he was working to bring about an eternal victory, not just an earthly victory. And the disciples would struggle with accepting that the course Jesus was taking toward the cross was the right one. Now, if you'll recall from last week, one of the things we talked about in the series of events leading up to Jesus, uh, in Calvary on, on that journey, uh, he stopped for a meal at Simon's home. And during that meal, they were, they were reclining at the table and a woman came up behind him with a jar of perfume and she broke it open and poured that perfume over his head, anointing him. And Jesus said, she's, she's preparing me for, for burial. We're very, very ready for the events that are coming. Uh, but we missed a, a very brief moment in scripture right before that meal, before she poured that perfume on his head. And, and I, and I I moved past it because it didn't have to deal with Jesus, but it's important for us today as we understand how the events unfold. So let me go back and just, uh, just highlight this moment. Uh, Matthew tells us that the, the religious leaders got together and they started plotting, conspiring, and how they were going to get rid of Jesus. And there's not, there's not any great detail in this moment. They don't have a plan necessarily. They just are working together, trying to figure out how to remove his influence to, to get him out of the, the eye of the people who, who 
like what they see, who, who have witnessed his miracles, who are, are, are listening to him say things about himself that they, the, the religious leaders would, would say, that's blasphemy. You can't say you're the son of, of God. You can't, you can't make those claims. And so they're, they're trying to figure out how to get Jesus out of the way. Matthew moves us from that moment into this meal where, where the woman comes up behind Jesus, anoints his head with oil. And remember when, when she poured that oh, perfume, excuse me, when she poured that perfume out, what did the disciples say? They were indignant, is what scripture says. They said, why are you wasting all of that perfume? You, you could have sold that perfume and given the money to the poor. We could have helped a lot of poor people, but instead you, you wasted it on Jesus. Can you imagine the disciples straight face looking at Jesus say, oh, wow, what a waste for that woman to pour pour perfume on you. And, and immediately after that moment, we pick up our story, the, the beginning of our story today, the events that happened, Matthew 26, beginning of verse 14. If you have a Bible you want to open there, please do so. We'll read through. The words will be on the screen behind me. If you have a phone or tablet, you want to use the Version app, you can open up the, that Bible app, search under events for Parkview Finley, and you'll find scripture and sermon notes for our sermon in the app. Uh, here, let's begin in verse 14. One of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So we have the, the religious leaders plotting. We have this meal where a woman poured perfume on Jesus and it upset the disciples. And then we have Judas going to the chief priest saying, what, what do you give me if I hand Jesus over to you? The question that, that I had as I was reading this, is why did, the, why did the religious leaders need Judas? They could at any time take Jesus into custody. They could have at any time gone and arrested him. Why? Why did they need Judas to betray Jesus in this way? Well, a lot of it has to do with the crowd. The Israelites are all gathered together in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover together. It's the tradition, the way they do it. They all gather together, and the crowd is in favor of Jesus. He has won their hearts. They are, they are looking to him. And the religious leaders see this as a threat to their leadership. And they know that if they take hold of Jesus publicly, the crowds will turn against them. And so they are looking for a way to quietly take Jesus into custody, to quietly arrest him so that they can discredit him and remove him and even kill him. And so they need an inside man like Judas to tell them when Jesus will be alone. They need a man like Judas to tell them where to find Jesus when he's alone. So Judas approached these men to arrange such a meeting. And the shadow of the cross that we're talking about brought about temptation for the disciples. Judas is the first to be tempted. He's tempted financially, driven by his own greed, focused on what he might gain from this situation. Now, I, these events are unfolding in a way that I, I didn't expect. I would have expected the religious leaders to, to personally pursue a way to trap Jesus. That they would, they would have watched the disciples in the course of their day, seen when they divide, maybe recognize that Jesus uh, goes off in the evenings toward Bethany where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live and then comes back to Jerusalem during the day and found a pattern and, and looked for one of the disciples who was straggling, you know, like the, the weak link to pull aside and maybe tempt and bribe. You would think that kind of thing would happen, but no, Judas went to them. He sought them out. And he asked them what they would offer him for his help in drawing out Jesus. 
This, this, this betrayal was what Judas actively pursued. And we have to understand, he, he's driven by his greed. In, in John's gospel, we, we read more details about Judas. John, John in chapter 12, verse 6 says that Judas was a thief. As keeper of the money bag for the disciples, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He, he w- was accustomed to living off of their funds. And, and there's, there's no coincidence that when the disciples said, wow, that was a huge waste of money to pour perfume on Jesus' head, that Judas then immediately went to seek out for his own gain. And and it's interesting to me that while Jesus was preparing for himself the agony of the cross, intent on sacrificing himself for the good of all people, Judas was seeking a way to sacrifice Jesus for his own gain. Now, as we move through more of our story today, we'll see that Peter also was tempted. After Jesus was arrested, Peter's in in the courtyard and servants recognize him. Other people around him recognize him as one of the disciples. And, and the, that social pressure is too much for him. And he, he chose to avoid the negative implications of his relationship rather than publicly declaring his connection with Jesus. And the, the temptation of the shadow of that cross is present there for him as well. But we're going to continue uh, reading in our story in Matthew Chapter 26, verse 17. Now notice, just as a, as a brief side note, typically when we talk about things like this, we, we take one event on, on a Sunday morning for a sermon, and we unpack that event and learn from that one thing, and we spread that out. Last, last year, we, we spent over a, a month, well, maybe two months, talking about the events leading up to the cross. And, and our series, this wonderful cross series, we're doing this differently. I want to make you aware of what I'm doing. We're, we're looking at several events in rapid succession, packed together in one sermon. And the reason for that is, is so that we can not just understand the meaning of each individual event, but to see how they stack up, how, how the succession of events that for the disciples and Jesus would have been happening just within the matter of hours, within a matter of days, between the time that he came into Jerusalem and, and the time that he was on the cross, the, the weight of these events stacking up on each other is significant. So we, I, I'm adding together several events and just want you to be aware so that we can understand how these are playing a huge role in, in what's happening in the lives of the disciples and Jesus. So beginning in verse 17, we'll continue on. The first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad, began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me, and the Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who, who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Well, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day, 
when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Now again, we see the, the shadow of the cross cast over Jesus, the disciples, and their relationship. They're here in this very close, personal, intimate setting, reclining around the table, sharing a meal together. And, and it's here that Jesus initiated the, the celebration of the Lord's Supper for his disciples, for us, to have this opportunity to remember him, to remember his sacrifice, to focus our hearts and minds, honoring him. And in the midst of all this, he made sure they understood that he knew what was coming, that one of them would betray him, that one of them would deny him, that all of them would, would scatter and the shadow of the cross is here, testing the commitment of the disciples. As Jesus approached the cross, he made them aware of the difficulty that they would face. After talking about his sacrifice, after talking about the forgiveness of sins that would be possible through the shedding of his blood, he went with them to the Mount of Olives and, and told them that they would all fall away. And none of them wanted to believe that it was true. All of them affirmed their commitment to Jesus and yet that commitment would be tested. Judas had already started the process of betraying Jesus, meeting with the religious leaders to hand Jesus over to them. The entire group of disciples would soon scatter when Jesus was arrested. And Peter would be the next one to face specific testing. Jesus let him know that while he was standing there face to face, very confident of his unyielding commitment, he would actually deny their relationship three times before morning came. Verse 36, we see these events continue to unfold. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken, taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now the first challenge to the commitment of the disciples is, is exhaustion. Jesus is inviting them to, 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 to be with him, to lend him their strength and support. Watch with me while I go and pray. Try as they might, they had been through an awful lot in the last few days. 
physically, mentally, emotionally. They're exhausted. And while they want to honor Jesus and do what he, he wants, their eyes are heavy. <laughs> they doze off and fall asleep again and again. And we see the shadow of the cross weighing heavily on Jesus. This time of prayer reveals the inner difficulty that, that he is enduring, the burden that he's carrying toward the cross, the sorrow, overwhelming sorrow to the point of death. He understood the significance, truly understood the significance more than anyone else could. He understood the importance of following through, and yet he was troubled. Notice how heavily this event is weighing on Jesus, that he, he is going before the Lord, pouring out his heart to God, acknowledging his, his desire. It would be great if this could happen in another way, but I know that it can. I know that it has to come from me. So not my will, God, but yours be done. He prayed to seek the strength that only God could provide to him. Now, he sought out the support of the disciples. He, he sought out their encouragement. And as much as they wanted to be there for him, they were tired. And when their strength and support was lacking, Jesus turned to God. And I find this prayer encouraging to know that Jesus could speak so plainly and openly to God, to acknowledge his burden, to acknowledge the difficulty of what he was dealing with, and to surrender that and acknowledge that he was willing to follow through on God's will, even when his physical desire was, was burdensome, he was willing to submit. It's an important example to us when we are challenged to, to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to God. And we, we recognize the difficulty of that commitment. We know that God places people in our lives to encourage us and strengthen us but we also know that we can't just depend on the people around us. And when we find ourselves alone, when the people around us aren't encouraging in the way we need, when they aren't providing us the strength that helps us remember our commitment to the Lord, that isn't an excuse for us to, to falter. It isn't an excuse for us to turn away. When we find ourselves in those difficult moments, we need to turn to God. And not be afraid to, 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 to really share what's going on in our hearts, to tell God how difficult things are, and to lean on him for strength and support and encouragement and guidance, and trust him to carry us through those difficult moments. Verse 47, we pick back up. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with him. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I can't call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching. You didn't arrest me, 
But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted and fled. Jesus is fulfilling his role as Savior and Messiah, allowing himself to be arrested, allowing himself to be led to the cross. And notice what he said about the power at his disposal. Notice what he said, that if he would just call on God, 12 legions of angels would do his bidding, but that wouldn't accomplish what he came to do. And he refused to use the power at his disposal. He refused to abuse the power. Truly taking up his cross and sacrifice as an example to us of what it is to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow after him. Verse 69, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before all of them. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, hey, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. And he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed and Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. And we see the shadow of the cross. Present. Weighing. As the disciples were separated from Jesus. And this is a significant change for Peter. You notice how confident he is in the presence of Jesus. When Jesus first said, I'm going, they're going to take my life and I'll be raised again. Peter said, no, no, no. It'll never happen to you, Lord. And Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. Dude, don't tempt me. This has got to happen. When, when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter and the other gospels, we find out he's the disciple, pulled his sword and cut off the servant's ear. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Put your sword away. He's so, he's so confident so strong in the presence of Jesus. And now that Jesus is in custody, he's standing alone in the courtyard and someone simply says, hey, you were with Jesus, right? No, 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 I don't, I don't know who you're talking about. He, he, he has such trouble with this. Unwilling to even identify himself as one of the disciples. Feeling the burden, the shadow of the cross. Feeling how hard it is to, to take up his cross to deny himself and follow after Jesus with all of his life. You notice how hard, hard that is? To deny yourself and submit yourself to him. You know, when I was younger, people would ask me as a young guy, hey, can you, can you carry this thing for me? Can you lift up this bottle? You know, we just got a delivery, it's heavy. Would you pick it up and carry it for me? And I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. And I would just pick whatever it was up, carry it wherever it needed to go. I didn't even, I didn't even ask, I didn't even worry about it. Hey, will you come help me move? Yeah, yeah, I'll be there. We don't need a dolly, we'll just carry it. This will be faster, I'll just carry it all in. I don't do that anymore. When somebody says, hey, can you pick that up and carry it? I'm like, well, how much does that weigh? Do we have any dollies here? Can we just kind of put it on a cart and roll it for you? I don't want to carry it that far. I, I, I weigh the burden against the potential pain that I'm going to have the next few days. And I'm hesitant to, to pick up that burden. 
because of the cost. When you think about those words of Jesus, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow after me. Let me ask you this question. What, what is it that comes to mind? What is it that, that causes that hesitation for you? Just like me when somebody says, hey, pick that up, and I go, oh. When you read those words, when you hear those words of Jesus, deny yourself, take up a cross, and follow me, sometimes there's that, oh, that, that bit of hesitation. What, what is it that, that comes to mind for you that would keep you from letting go of, of your will and your way, letting go of your, your desires, to wholeheartedly follow after Jesus. We, we all have those things that make it difficult. That stand in the way of that whole life commitment. What, what is that shadow looming in your life? Is it a temptation? Something that is a desire of your heart that you have a hard time letting go of to, to be committed is it, is it simply the fact that you're so committed to other things that you don't know if you'll have time to really give all of yourself to God? And you're weighing out your schedule and all the things that have to get done. You're just not sure if you can. Do you worry that you won't be able to maintain your commitment in front of other people? That taking a stand for your faith will... will Significantly damage your relationships? Have you, have you backed away from conversations because you, you don't want to make your beliefs known? Have you felt the shadow looming? Maybe if you speak up, you'll be labeled as insensitive, uncaring, ignorant because you have faith, ignorant because you believe the moral boundaries of Scripture. Are you worried that people will call you a bigot, unaccepting of other people and their decisions? For each of us, there's this shadow that weighs heavily on us, that makes it difficult for us to truly sacrifice so that we can take up our cross and follow after him. But that's what Jesus is calling us to do, to see the value in that, see the significance of, of what it means for us to surrender our whole lives and follow after him. And the motivation that we have, the reminder that we have of the significance of that is, is how we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me. That he endured the shadow of, of the cross. He endured the pain of, of the cross. He endured the torture of surrendering his life on the cross so that he could bring us back into relationship with him. He endured all of that because he loves you and me that much. And that's what we need to remember when we hear his words. That's the motivation that helps us put aside our will and our way and take up our cross and follow after him. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your example. We thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, I pray now that you would, you would strengthen us and encourage us as we consider what it will cost us to wholeheartedly devote ourselves to you. God, I pray that you would you would meet us there in our indecision, that you would meet us there in our hesitation, that you would meet us there in our, in our doubts even and encourage us and strengthen us and remind us 
of how much you love us. That you would help us to love you the way we should. Lord, we thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.